don't ever give up on yourself. I mean, there's there's nothing more important to do than to to be easy and compassionate with yourself. Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hello, hello, Well Women. Today on the show, I talk to Christine McHugh, filmmaker and president of New Mexico Women in film. And we talk about what is being done to address gender equity and inequality and uh, disparities in TV and film and the reframe movement. And we talk about how Christine found herself in film at the age of 50 after a very interesting, completely different career. And what's next for Christine and the New Mexico women in film and TV uh, and what they're up to. And so I'll be talking a little bit about how New Mexico women in film is championing a strategy developed by women in film in Los Angeles called Reframe, which is a revolutionary certification structure for production companies willing to make diversity and gender equity a priority in the staffing of their projects. Since last year's Oscar awards ceremony, when Frances McDormand brought the concept up of an inclusion writer, the idea has been gaining a lot of momentum. So I'm super interested to to talk to her about that. Christine McHugh is a filmmaker who comes to the medium through her many years of work as a theater director. She directed the short comedy film On the Nature of Hotness, which won the 2013 New York City International Film Festival for Best Short Comedy and was the official selection at 10 film festivals in 2013 and 14. She's currently the president of New Mexico Women in Film based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Here is my interview with Christine McHugh. I'm speaking with Christine McHugh, the president of New Mexico Women in Film. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here with you, Giovanna. So Christine, you've got a lot going on. I'm excited to hear about um, some specific strategies around gender equity and diversity that you're working on. But first of all, will you tell me, Christine, who are you in the world today? I kind of come to this conversation today as the president of New Mexico Women in Film. But that uh, post came to me kind of through my work, which is a very unexpected and roundabout way to end up in the film industry. I have to tell you, I am, I consider myself kind of the quintessential accidental filmmaker. I never set out to do any of this, but uh, it kind of came around this way. And the signs from the universe were, this was the direction I was to go. And there was no real ambiguity about that. And uh, it's been a wonderful ride. I have been making films since about 2013. And yeah, Oh, interesting. Wait, I have to ask you what, what happened there, because that, that, that was a great intro. And I feel like that happens to a lot of us with our careers, right? It's not a straight line. It's, it's never what we thought it was going to be. But how did you... Well, it's so interesting that you talk about it not being a straight line because I had been doing a lot of work as a life coach up until uh, I started this. And the life coach modality is pretty much kind of determine your goal, uh, create a strategy for getting there, keep yourself accountable along the way, have people who can support you, achieve the goal, on to the next one. And so it has been kind of linear. And um, that's kind of the way I thought it was supposed to work. And I was, uh, uh, the 
life coaching work I was doing was uh, basically helping people create uh, their kind of a, a solo performance piece, like a spoken memoir, so that they're really looking at an exploration of them, their identity through the stories that they tell other people about themselves. And uh, I was working with a client in Seattle, and we had just done his solo piece, which was about a 90 minute piece that he did for his 50th birthday. And he rented out a theater and invited all of his friends. And he came off after the um, performance and he just kind of grabbed me. He said, oh my God, I'm firing on all cylinders when I'm doing this work with you. We have to do more of this. And I'm like, okay, great. What were you thinking about? He said, well, maybe we can do a, a film. And I'm like, well, all right, that sounds fun. i I, I don't know. I, I've always wanted to direct a movie. You know, that's kind of a cliche, but that'd be fun to do. Let's try that. And so we worked together and we created a script that was just basically a nine minute little comedy short uh, that was based on stories from his life, although it had a very universal message in it. We decided to enter it into film festivals. And the first film festival we got into was uh, Cannes uh, in France. And uh and then we started thinking the next one we got into was the New York City International Film Festival. And then we won that for best short comedy. And at that point, I thought, oh, oh, I, I guess I'm going to make movies now. <laughs> it was a, the most amazing thing about it for me, Giovanna, was the letting go of expectation or linear process and just kind of falling back into the river and let it take me where it will. You know, I mean, the trusting experience that the universe has my back. And I hadn't really ever done that up until that point in my life. But I think mid-50s was a good time for me to trust in that. And uh, it sure paid off because it just went bing, bing, bing. The next project, I, the next thing I did, I got involved with New Mexico Women in Film. And I had a mentor discussion with someone who said it would be a good idea for you to start taking classes and learn how to be a uh, to do what your editor and your cinematographer uh, did, and I uh, I did that. My first class project, I did a little mini documentary about um, my mother-in-law who was um, dying of cancer at that time. And uh, after she passed, they showed it at her memorial, and I put it up on Facebook. And then all of my friends came to me and said, "I want you to do that for my parents." So I developed this little business creating legacy videos of matriarchs and patriarchs of families. So the second film project I ever did, I started a business out of. The third film project I ever did was another final for one of my classes. And it was a friend of mine from the Bay Area who is a singer-songwriter, an incredibly talented woman. She said, I want you to make a video of this one song that I think will go viral. And, and I had seen her perform the song many times. And I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure that will go viral. That's a, that's a good one. So we worked on that and then we released it. It's a, a musical video called older ladies by Donna Lou Stevens. And, um, it has 17 million views on YouTube right now. I, it's been downloaded enough times and embedded in other sites that it's, uh, it has more than 70 million views uh, on all the cumulative sites. You know, Anderson Cooper did an article, did a whole segment on his 360 show on it the week that it came out, saying that this is a anthem video for a forgotten demographic. It's hysterical, and you should all watch it. And he even mentioned my name, which nobody ever mentions the name of a director of a music video. So it was like, okay, well, 
I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this for a while. And, uh, and that's kind of how it's gone for me. And it's just been wonderful. And all of that, interestingly enough, has happened in Santa Fe, in which uh, the old adage is it either uh, embraces you or it spits you out. And there was just no question. It took me up in a full body bear hug. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so going back and maybe putting your life coaching hat on, why do you think you were so successful at this starting in your fifties as a filmmaker? Well, you know, I think at this point in any person's life, there become, there's a something of a confluence of all of their experience. You know, um, there's a way where you're able to uh, integrate um, all of the things you've learned how to do up till this point. And I, I have to say though, while that is, I think a common experience for a lot of people. I don't know that the second half of the formula is as common, which is the really my willingness to let go and just go with the flow, just trust that it was going to be okay. And um, I, I will tell you the most unusual part of the experience was when we were getting ready to release the first short comedy video, which is called on the nature of hotness with Richard Snyder. Um, he had said, uh, now that we're done with it, I don't want to just put it on YouTube. I want to enter it into film festivals. And I don't want to just enter it into any film festivals. I only want to enter it into first-tier film festivals. And my thought that I said inside my mind, I did not say it out loud to him, was, okay, go ahead, knock yourself out. You know, I don't really think it's that good. And it wasn't that I did. It was because I didn't trust my participation in the process. It, it was like, I didn't think my work was very good. So here I was, you know, as his life coach, the kind of, if you can dream it, you can be it support, you know, champion that I, I'm, I've been hired to be for him all these uh, the years that we worked together. And I want to say that to him, but because my work was involved with it, I didn't really trust it. I didn't have that same kind of confidence or that willingness to to, to believe in it at that level. And then it immediately paid off and I had to reevaluate what, how do I look at my own work? You know, what, where's the faith that I have in what I do? And it really pulled me up short. It, it really made me think that I had to uh, invest a lot more care and time and faith in the work that I do. And uh, once I started doing that, it was just kind of just straight, straight road to, to having a lot of, uh, small successes, but definitely uh, undeniable. So it was really very Ooh. cool process. Oh my gosh. That's fascinating. So now fast forward, you are the president of New Mexico women in film and you, we actually met each other because of, um, gender equity work and, and various things. And now you're working on something new. Can you talk about what that is and why it's important for you to be working on right now? Yeah, since I came into the presidency of the organization, I've been doing it about three years now, there's been this growing kind of finding myself in the role, I think, that uh, happens for most people in any kind of leadership capacity. They have to kind of bring their personal power, their experience, and the authority that's given to them by the organization to try and find their, you know, what what it is that they do. And um, I've had a, a, a bit of an evolution around uh, uh, this concept of 
being a mouthpiece, being vocal about uh, gender equity, uh, especially at a time, you know, it, it, it came clear to me that there, uh, and, and again, Giovanna, I don't have a long history working in a studio system or working on big sets. I don't come uh, to this with the same kind of traditional background that a lot of women professionals in this industry have. So it, it actually was a bit of a dawning on me just how unbelievably um, inequitable the hiring rate was between men and women in the industry. And so as it became more and more uh, obvious there's, you know, a lot of um, social uh, events that have taken place in the last three years that have really brought this to the forefront of our um, society about how the storytellers, the people in charge of crafting a message, were in fact kind of the propaganda arm of culture. Um, how could it be so heavily weighted in favor of men so that women's stories uh, women's opportunities, uh, they're just, they're just, we're not getting them. And, um, when that really hit me, I took it up full force and said, this is, I mean, if we're going to be the organization, kind of the face of women working in this industry, in the state, we have to take a big stand on this. Are you at the top of your game professionally, but feeling burned out or finding it hard to focus on your goals or unfulfilled personally? Or are you in transition, simply juggling so many things you find it hard to take care of your own needs? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate the four universal superpowers. These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated and they include awareness, intuition, action, and acceptance. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well woman life. We've had a couple of uh, events. Uh, we, we try to have a, an event every year that's going to support that in some way or other. Last year, we, after after Me Too kind of hit the public, um, things really started to escalate, and it and it escalated in a in a in a very high profile media way, and um, that's good. I, I think it's 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 good that it brings our attention to it, but I'm concerned that it doesn't have the real teeth to affect longstanding change because it is a media spin more than it is a let's take this to the courts and let's have uh, laws. Let, let's make sure there are laws that legislate around this. So that's kind of what we're doing. But last last year we had um, a screening of uh, Jennifer Seibel Newsom's uh, two. Uh, documentaries, Misrepresentation, The Mask You Live In, which are uh, fabulous um, examples of how uh, women and girls are inculcated in the images of what they're allowed to be uh, through mm-hmm. media. And then also the idea of where, where toxic masculinity begins. And then I had you on a panel that followed that whole thing in which we're looking at um, a way forward out of the kind of um, tangle of sexual harassment um, issues that we're dealing with right now. And that's something that I think that we need to be, uh, a forum for. We need to provide uh, that conversation so people are looking at proactive ways that they can be a part of changing 
uh, the industry changing the world uh, around uh, harassment issues. So yeah. that, that was last year, and that was uh, that was great, you know, because we had a couple lawmakers on the panel too, and uh, and it, it. Well, and I loved the way the panel was very focused because I I'm very like practical, you know, I, I'm a policy person, and I. I want to see practical solutions to things. And so when you just said, you know, it, it, the, the Me Too movement has been great in a lot of ways, but what are, what, what's actually, you know, on the ground happening, like what's actually changing, that's what I'm very interested in. And so um, I, I love that you're bringing that up over and over and you're doing that again in, uh, in February um, with the showing of, an, of another film, and really working on an innovative, I feel very innovative strategy. Well, a lot of this was prompted by one of the guests uh, that we'll have in February, one of the featured personages in the film uh, that we'll be showing, which is the documentary, This Changes Everything. And that's Maria Geis. Maria Geis, we had as a guest speaker a couple of uh, years ago. Uh, we uh, did it in Santa Fe and we, we Skyped her in on a big screen in an auditorium and uh, had a fascinating discussion because this woman has done an amazing job. I mean, what she has done to basically put real legal teeth into creating uh, gender um, equity in uh, the film industry. She's, uh, I think she was instrumental um, with getting the ACLU to write a letter to the EEOC about this kind of disparity. And then the EEOC launched their own investigation in which they basically interviewed all the studio heads, the agencies, um, uh, all, all the different guilds, uh, kind of all the gatekeepers for employment in Hollywood and um, and are in the process of drawing their own conclusions about um how how bad this is and how also uh, in violation of Title VII uh, fair hiring uh, uh, laws, it is uh, what's been happening there. Um, in so doing, she has made herself something of a pariah in Hollywood. And that's what they talk a lot about this, this dropout period where um, – uh, women may get one opportunity, but then it's 15 years before they get their next opportunity, as opposed to a man who has a successful first film or first TV episode and uh, gets hired almost immediately. So um, she had that going on for her and she knew that it wasn't, it didn't feel right. And so she started to look into it. As she looked into it, she's made herself basically a burr under the saddle of almost all of the film and TV industry uh, because they're being called out by her on their, um, their, you know, unfair, unjust actions. And so, uh, she's taken a, she's taken one for the team. You know, she's, she's made this now her life work and given up really the opportunity to create, um, you know, media and, uh, a film and television. And, uh, she is an incredible advocate and mouthpiece for, uh, this new movement. So what is the movement and, and what is the strategy? Well, there's there's several. Um, now, I, I want to talk a little bit about what um, Women in Film and Television Los Angeles has created in uh, collaboration with Sundance Film Festival, uh, Sundance Institute, which is this project called Reframe. And it is a structural approach or a systemic approach 
to um, how to uh, create awareness about this disparity in hiring. And uh, one of the things that I, they say that I love so much is they, they were saying that gender parity on its own is is intersectional uh, it, it, because it, it creates equity for all underrepresented groups. And um, so it's it's not only about um, gender, but it's also, of course, about um, LGBT, uh, trans, differently abled, all different races. And they're trying to make sure that that is happening at the same time. But uh, they don't, it does the, the Venn diagram does kind of meet a lot around this underrepresented groups in gender. So um, so what they've done is they've created a program whereby they have identified what they call ambassadors, which are high profile men and women in the industry. And they have asked those people to to become fluent in the language and the methods that this reframe uh, system is creating and then take it to the studios, the networks, the production companies, uh, the guilds, you know, uh, all the agencies and basically say, if we partner together, if we, we're going to explain this to you, we'll be your representative. We'll be there to answer all your questions and support you in implementing this new way of being, you know, to, to become a, to become fluent in what the disparities are and then take on this course of action. Uh, and uh, many of the big Groups have already, um, uh, studios and everything have already signed on to this. Things like A&E and Amazon and Netflix and uh, Grand Via, Lionsgate, SAG-AFTRA, Participant Media. Um, you know, it's it, it's a lot of um, high-profile groups that are really saying, yes, we'll commit to this. We'll 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 change our ways um, for this. And. Um, and what's the incentive for them to do that? Or is that that's part of the, the partnership? Well, right now, the incentive really is to get this stamp from mm-hmm. Reframe that basically says you they're are doing the right thing. Yeah, you're good. You're a good citizen in, mm-hmm. in, in this in this movement. You are aware of it and you are doing what you can to make things more equitable and just. Um which is a, a nice idea. And I do think that there probably is some traction there around uh, kind of um, peer pressure, you know, that other groups will say that and say, oh, we want to have that too. It's, I think it's very good for their marketing. I think it's mm-hmm. good PR for them to have it. My problem with it is it's not, it doesn't really have the teeth of, I mean, because it comes at the end of the project, so mm-hmm. it doesn't really have the kind of enforcing thing that I, I think it should come at the beginning of the project. I think it would be great if we had something that said, yes, these people are committed to it and they're going to, you know, try and do as much gender uh, uh equity, equitable hiring as possible. And because that they've shown that they've got this many producers and this many, uh, women, uh, on screen, this many writers, uh, you know, that they're, that they've got a percentage of this, we're going to give them this stamp before they get going because otherwise it's just, it feels a little bit like window dressing and it feels a little bit like, I don't know, it's a, it's, it's a little, I I think it's diminishing of the real effort. Mm -hmm. And I think that what, what's missing and what, what we talk, what's Maria talks a lot about in the documentary is there really needs to be an accountability to the laws 
of um, you know to of, of of the land around hiring that this industry has particularly dis uh, you know regarded for all these many years because they're kind of rogue. They're kind of nobody gets to we get to do what we want. Nobody has sway over us. It's a very uh, kind of maverick uh, industry, and yeah. um, the the thing about that that feels like there's a real opportunity to take advantage of is that we act the film industry, film and media is actually the it's like I said earlier, it's almost like the propaganda arm of culture, uh, especially in, in the United States. You know, yeah. it's like we could conceivably be the spearhead for how things could change. I mean, if we were to 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 be that equitable in how we, uh, you know, uh, create our, our how how we put together our creative teams so that it's that diverse and that fair uh, across the board, we could be an absolute model for um, social welfare, uh, education, for every other aspect of the things that we're trying to legislate these days and make sure that they are fair in that regard. And um, the problem is, unlike a lot of, unlike socialized countries, um, the film industry is a private industry. The money comes from private um, interests, and we can't dictate how private interests spend their money. Unlike Sweden, which has a movement in place right now called uh, 50-50 by 2020, which is to have absolute gender parity across the board by 2020, and they're on their way there. They're like at 48% right now already, the the amount of strides that they've made around that. But they have a big stick with the um, uh, the nation, um, the national government being able to enforce how things get funded. You don't get funded if you don't have, um, if you're not right. uh, adhering to the laws of uh, gender equity and, and gender uh, fairness. So um, what I, I really, really would love to get some real decision makers, some real um, high profile lawmakers would love to have our new governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, in this screening so that she could become aware that there's actually a very unique opportunity that the state of New Mexico has, which is using our tax incentives, which is very generous for both uh, internal and external production companies who come here to do um, to, to produce anything in New Mexico, where they're getting a 25% rebate on what they're doing. If they could be held to this standard of you, we have to see that you are adhering to Title VII um, hiring uh, laws before you're getting this kind of money from us. You know, before and and, and we could even I, I think there's I'm you know, I'm not a, a, a lawmaker around this. I haven't looked into what the different structures you could set up. But I'm quite confident that you could set up a, a different rating for how well you're doing in that, depending on how well you uh, what percentage of the tax rebate you qualify for. And um, I, I know it's it's a very uh, it's a pretty out there proposal. Um, and, but I do think that we have the opportunity to be a real model for the nation about how to do this. Yeah. So Christine, are you hoping to do something this legislative session or is this a a longer term strategy? 
Well, I think it's uh, to be practical, it has to be a longer term strategy. I look at what is facing this legislature um, with the new governor and uh, especially when I look at what they have on their plate around reforming um, school spending and things like that and how the um, yeah, how that's going to be done. They've got a lot going on. They, it's, 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 I think it's you know unrealistic to think that they're going to be able to tackle something like this when they've got such a deadline breathing down their necks around doing that in the next six week session uh, or six weeks coming up. But I will say that um, I would like to put it on their radar. I think that if they're thinking about this, especially we're going to have a new film office head. Uh, We have Alicia Keys in now as the um, cabinet uh, person doing um, economic development, uh, a a film person out of the um, Albuquerque film office. There are a lot of people that have an, a, a very in-depth understanding of all the moving parts around this. And I would like them to have this idea of, I mean, most lawmakers really don't have any idea about the letter from the ACLU in 2015 and then the uh, subsequent investigation that the EEOC has launched into and what how, how things are shaking out around that. That's crucial to know. I mean, that mm. is how, you know, if, if you are armed with that kind of information, you are inspired to be a change leader around that, I think, in this state. And I think we could do that. This episode of The Well Woman Show is brought to you by Collective Action Strategies, supporting organizations that support women and families, and by Well Woman Life Movement Challenge Quiz, your resource for living your best life. If you're in burnout or major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need to make in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The cause of all of our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and or external supports. Our Well Woman Life Framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly live your best life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green, healthy lifestyle publication. And for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. I have to say, uh, as of late these days, I wake up almost every morning and the first thing uh, that comes to my out of my mouth is, I love my life. I love my life. And um, that, to me, is just the richest thing that I could ever possess. I mean, just to have that kind of satisfaction and fulfillment um, with the way my day goes is uh, just uh, it's a wealth beyond anything I could have imagined. And I'm I'm very lucky uh, to to be experiencing it right now. Um, So happiness, basically. 
Okay. And uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but when did you know you were really good at what you do? I will say it dramatically coincided with menopause. And that had to, uh, there's this, um, I think that my theory is that uh, when we lose our procreative ability, um, it's not, it's, it would be a misnomer to say that it was lost. That's not what happens. What happens is it transforms. The creative capacity that we had, I think, had existed for a long time in uh, just kind of our biological ability to bear children um, gets transformed in this new thing. And my creativity just hit, just rocketed it into the stratosphere um, uh, around menopause. Oh, okay. Well, that leads into my next question, which is what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? I think the biggest thing was to, uh, the biggest uh, uh, turning point for me was when I transformed my idea of uh, this concept of um, I'm, I make mistakes, you know, I screw up, I make mistakes. Um, which was uh, had reached ahead of particularly painful proportions, mm-hmm. and I couldn't live with it anymore. And then I realized, oh, you know what? That's not true at all. I, I don't make mistakes. I'm incredibly talented at creating exactly the circumstances that I need in order to grow and evolve and, you know, and transcend. And that's uh, changing the way that I think about making mistakes. That's my superpower. Oh, I love that. Okay. Describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being. The biggest, uh, I, 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 I'm sure I'm not the first person who's ever said this, but it's, it's definitely made a difference for me. The, the biggest change has come from a, a disciplined mindfulness practice, you know, meditation, being able to, yeah. to sit quietly and notice, uh, to watch the freaking freak show of my mind, you know, play all the time <laughs> and be able to kind of let it go and not make a, not attached to any of those stories has been the biggest single thing that's contributed to my happiness and well-being for sure. Oh yeah. No, I hear that. Okay. What advice would you give your 25 year old self? Uh, I think the thing about mistakes, um, that, uh, you, you can't make them. Don't worry about it. It's not gonna, they don't happen. Um, think of them all as, uh, you know, these great opportunities that you are particularly talented at creating. Well, and that would help you not be so hard on yourself too. wouldn't it? if you didn't look at it as a mistake. Yeah. And I guess there, and that, and that kind of piggybacks, uh, the second part of that advice is, um, don't ever, uh, give up on yourself. I mean, there's, there's nothing more important to do than to, to be easy and compassionate with yourself. That's the most mm. important thing that there is. Because, man, from that nuclear generator comes enough to power a, a world. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What makes a good leader, Christine? For me, it's the willingness and the dedication to knowing oneself. In other words, to be self-reflective, to be um, uh, uh, inspired, to be self-actualized. To, to really understand yourself, because in understanding yourself, you're able to be kind of a conduit for love in the world. And uh, that's, that's the trick, I think. Yeah. And so what is your greatest challenge as a leader? 
uh, it's not getting caught up in the stories. Um, you know, when I think that, uh, uh, taking criticism, um, uh, yeah, it's, it continues to, the struggle is, and this is not going to be a finish line I cross in this lifetime is, uh, to continue to be, uh, compassionate with myself. And, um, uh, so one of the practices is, uh, kind of seeing criticism as a gift. Mm. Okay. And do you identify as a feminist? Oh, most certainly. <laughs> not even, not even, I, I, I hardly have any <laughs> other identity right now besides that one. I was so funny. I was thinking about that a lot at the women's March and how that, um, term has been kind of vilified and, it's like, oh man, you're really missing what this means. You know, this, uh, yes, yes, I most definitely consider myself a feminist. I know. I talked to so many people about that word and, and, and people have such different, you know, feelings and interpretations and baggage and just stories around that word. And so do you ever think that there's a time when language needs to shift because there's so much baggage or is it a matter of explaining it more? <laughs> well, I think explaining it more has to, uh, what, what's, uh, absolutely core to that is having, educating people about the history of where it went wrong. You know, I mean, um, you know, you taught the feminist movement, Jermaine Greer's movement of like the sixties and seventies, um, you can see how a word gets uh, taken up um, and or, you know, kind of propagandistically uh, torqued in order to serve, uh, you know, to undermine it, to serve a, a somebody else's agenda. You see it, you know, with Rush Limbaugh and his feminazi stuff. And um, it's like, well, if you're just aware that that's what's happening, I, I that I, People need to be thinking critically, especially in this time of social media, that um, here's here's a good example. When something comes across my social media that I want to believe so much, like I immediately it creates this visceral reaction in me, like, oh, that's got to be true. And I want to like maybe uh, share it right away and, and, and put it out there. Uh, I don't ever, I stop myself every single time because I know that if I had that reaction, it was engineered to do that to me. Mm. And I do my research at that point, but you yeah. have to be able to be self-aware enough to know that right. if something is being, uh, if, if you're being manipulated emotionally, you have to be able to be aware you're being mani manipulated emotionally. Yeah. And, well, that's whole, that's the whole thing about media literacy, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, um, but that's the kind of critical thinking that, mm -hmm. uh, we have a responsibility if we have any awareness of it at all to continue to pass on to people. And I think that's the way the, that, uh, feminism has been, um, torqued and misused by other, other people for their agenda. Mm. Uh, last question, Christine, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Um, I am reading, uh, the underground railroad by Colson Whitehead which is fantastic. I love it so far. It's, it's, it's really amazing. But, uh, uh, I just read another great book, uh, Tara Westover's educated. And that was some really, really great stuff. Mm, okay. Awesome. We love getting book recommendations from our guests. 
Christine, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Oh, it's been great talking to you, Giovanna. Thanks for having me on. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you are listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.